just want to thank you for engaging, for worshiping, for greeting. Just way to go. Well done, team. Can I have an umbrella of mercy today? I'm trying to figure out tone because this, this is really important, I think. The sentence that I've been trying to use over these past seven weeks is face, this is my, for my preparation. I've repeated it to you, but this is for my preparation. Facing death honestly. Choosing life intentionally allows for flourishing in love. So what I've been trying to suggest is that if we, if we can embrace our death, the idea that we will die, if we can, not, not morbidly, but embrace it in a beautiful way, understanding we're here a short time. If we embrace it, then we can say, I'm going to live. I'm going to actually live the day recognizing that in this I will flourish, we will flourish, and we long for the day when Jesus returns to judge and make all things right. But there's something that really inhibits us. So over these past weeks, if you've been just with me, you noticed how many different times in different chapters the things that inhibit our embracing of death. And today there's something very particular that just envelops us. That, that woos us, that seduces us, that imprisons us. And I'm going to call it affluenza. It is affluence. For about 70 years, our nation has become ever more affluent, and it has enormous consequences. So let me ask you a question. What has been more damaging to the American people in the past 18 months? COVID-19 or affluenza. Now think about affluenza, the pursuit of things, the longing for things. We as Americans have low-cost food and clothes because people around the world are paid minimum wages so we can have great things at low cost. Is that true? Creation is being impacted in a variety of ways so we can have the things we want to consume at relatively low prices. How many relationships have been destroyed over money? How many family systems have been wrecked over inheritance? How much has indebtedness changed how we live? Could it be that affluenza has been more damaging than COVID? And that's what he's poking at today. We won't embrace our death if we keep grasping for what's here. So that's where we're going to go, but it's going to end up really positive. So, can I invite you to open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Just a quick review from last week. We looked at verses 1 through 7 last week. And remember last week I started with guard, chapter 5 verse 1, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. So be careful when you come to worship. And the next phrase, go near to listen. And so we use the word here. And just reminding you what I said last week, for the Hebrews, the relationship with God was most impacted not by the eyes, but by the ears. So I quoted the Shema, the, the, the primary word of instruction for the people of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear. 
In the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, as Jesus walks through churches, at the end of every conversation, he says this, let he, let she who has ears to hear, let them hear. So we talked about hearing, and at the 11 o'clock service, I thought was most interesting, I did hear too, but I asked people as the service went on, what do you, do people hear words from the Lord? Not from me, from the reading of scripture. And there were hands up all over. And I tell you a story with permission. Someone who works at a corporation, so in corporations, they don't have prayer meetings, hold hands, and ask how you're feeling, generally. Is that true? Someone who was sitting here at the 11 o'clock service heard chapter 5, verse 7, fear the Lord. So difficult work situation at a corporation. He walked, this president of our church, with permission, walks into this team and said, last week I was an absolute idiot. And he said this, and I'm quoting him, I fear the Lord. And because I fear him, I want to apologize to you. How I was last week was absolutely inappropriate. He said the people in the room about fell down because he's their boss. And he acknowledged that the, fear, the word he heard, fear, fear the Lord, changed how he worked last week at a corporation. Now why do I bring this up? Because in chapter five, one through seven, we're talking about the right worship. We worship God, not ourselves. But now chapter 5, verse 8 through 6, verse 12, we get seduced by money and possessions. So I'm going to go through this a little differently. Jim, can just get, you give me slide number four just so I can show this? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read those verses, and below it is my translation. So I want you to see what the teacher is talking about as we read through these verses, okay? So chapter five, starting in verse eight. I'm gonna read verses eight and nine, and here's my translation. If you see, if we see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all The king himself profits from the field. So here's my translation. There will always be someone who has more than we do. And often the people in power and with more wealth use that against others. That's verses 8 and 9. Look at verse 10. Next one, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is hevel, chasing after the wind. So here's my translation. If, if we love money, we will never have enough love. What more? One more. Verse 11. Verse 11, excuse me. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefits are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? So here's my translation. Wealth does not satisfy because as our wealth and possessions increase, so do our responsibilities. Verse 12. The sleep of a laborer is sweet whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. So here's my translation. 
The more we have money, possessions, and things, the more we have to worry about. Verse 13. I have seen a grievous evil, and four times we're going to see the word evil, and I'm going to compare it with the word good in verse 18 in a few minutes. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun in this life, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. What do I mean by that? The more we have, the more we hurt ourselves if we cling to it. Verse 14, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when we have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. The more we have, the more we have to lose. Verse 15. Verse 15 says, Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil they can carry in their hands. My translation, the more we have in this life, the more we leave behind when we die. Verse 16 and 17 This too is a grievous evil, second time, grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain? And that word gain is what is left when they die. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain? Since they toil for the wind, which just disappears. All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, afflictions, and anger. Here's my translation. The endless toil of seeking more money and more possessions leads to frustration, affliction, and anger. Now let's go on. We're going to go to chapter 6, chapter 18 through 20, 5, 18 through 20. That's the, that's the positive side. We're going to come back to that. 6, 1, and 2. Here's another, another evil. I've seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor, so that they lack nothing their hearts desire. But God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them, and strangers enjoy them instead. This is, a, this is meaningless, hevel, a grievous evil. evil. So no matter what we have, no matter how much we possess, there is never a guarantee that it will satisfy. Is that true for you? You know all the studies about purchasing, don't you? And I'm, I'm not a medical person, so I, I might be off on this, so umbrella of mercy. But they've done studies. They, give, they uh, put the monitors on people and they check their bodies and watch what happens when they purchase something. And there's a rush of, Matt, would it be hormones? Or hormones released? Hormones get released when you purchase something. But it lasts a very short time. So that's why we keep being watching more, wanting more. Now, you all know this. I'm not telling anything out of school. You know why television was created, don't you? The purpose of television, the purpose of television is advertising. What's the purpose of the internet? Advertising. And we communicate and all kinds of stuff. Fundamentally, the screens are intended to make us covet and want what we don't have. So someone told me two weeks ago they, they bought a chainsaw. And all of a sudden, every day, pop-ups, they got chainsaws, chainsaws, chain. How does that happen? Google's not stupid. Wherever you go, algorithms get formed. And whatever you've been, they'll just keep coming back to you. Why? They want you to buy chainsaws. No matter how much stuff we purchase, satisfaction is not guaranteed. Let's go on. Verses 3 through 5, I think it is. 3 through 6. Now, this gets creepy. Better off dead? Ooh, wait a second. What's he saying? A man may have a hundred children and live many years. 
Yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not have a proper burial, I say that, listen to this, listen to this sentence, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes without meaning, the stillborn child. It departs in darkness. In darkness, its name is shrouded. Though the child never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than that man, even if he lives a thousand years twice over, but fails to enjoy his prosperity. Do not all go to the same place. So let me ask you a question. Think about the things you love the most that you own. How much satisfaction do you have in that six months later? A year later? Five years later? So what he's saying is a child who is never born, never has these insatiable longings that never get met, is not overcome with disappointments about the things she never receives and experiences. And the child is resting in peace. You know the phrase when we often, when someone dies, people often say, rest in peace. I was involved in a, a situation recently where the person was in a coma. So they were, they were alive by machines. They were near death's door. And as I tried to, I tried to listen, and the phrase I kept hearing was this person is resting in peace. No fears, worries about life. Not yet, quote, dead. And in this medicated state, Fam reported, he laid in peace. The problem with affluenza is we are never satisfied. We can never have enough. So if I can't have enough stuff, then I don't want to die because I got to get more. I got to experience more. I got to do more. I got to get more. It's more. And the idea of dying just scares me because they said, because no, this is so crazy. In the Old Testament, the prophet says, the gods we look like are the gods we become. So if I look at Jesus, you look at Jesus, what should emerge is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, right? That's what, but if all I'm looking at is possessions, and things, and money. What, what, what is the scripture talking about? Envy, slander, malice, gossip, jealousy. And that's who I become. So he's saying in these verses, creepy, crazy verses, a stillborn child does not have to deal with all of that because the child is safe in the arms of God. Let's go a little farther. Seven, seven to nine. He says, text reads, um, everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. There's the phrase. Their appetite is never satisfied. What advantage have the wise over fools? What do the poor gain by knowing how to conduct themselves before others? Better what the eyes see than roving the appetite. This too is hevel, a chasing after the wind. What, what's it? It's an insatiable appetite. So think about this. Let's go to a buffet. So we go to a fantastic buffet. I was once invited to a buffet where it cost, uh, I think it was $100 a person per plate. And then this was 
This was awesome. I mean, just really, 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 really big. And I looked at all that food. Well, I might as well start over here. How many plates of food do you think I took? Because here it all is. Because there it all is. So we live in a culture that keeps saying, have more, have more, have more, have more, have more, have more, have more. I got to live because I have more and more and more. It's like more and more. And what happens to us? And what happens to relationships? Now, fundamentally, what the teacher is going to keep saying is, what's most important is the relationship with God and your neighbor. And we're going to go there in just a minute. But all the possessions and wealth just draw us, consume us, enslave us, and it's just killing. This, this, I've said this to you before. This is why I'm, so Lane and I are just anal about giving away money. Why? Because, listen to me, money is not neutral. Jesus said you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon's a demon. There is a, there is, we are, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers. The demon of mammon is incredibly entrenched in the human person, in human cultures. And how you break the power of the demon mammon is give money away. Why? So we can live. What did Jesus say? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Don't you just love to give a gift and someone goes, wow, it's awesome. Right? But we have an insatiable appetite for stuff, for stuff, and it just kills us. One more thing. 10 through 12, and then we'll go to the good news. Chapter 6, 10 through 12. The text says, whatever exists has already been named, and what humanity is has been known. No one can tend with one, someone who is stronger. The more words, the less meaning. How does that profit anyone? For who knows what is good for a person in life during the few and meaningless, that's heavy, fleeting, short days they pass through like a shadow? Who can tell them what will happen under the sun after they are gone? And there's that word again, hevel. Now, go back to chapter 1, verse 1, verse 2. 1, verse 2, and here, here's his thesis for the whole book of Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> so we have the word meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. It can be translated multiple ways. And the word I've been using is uh, the merest of breaths. The merest of breaths. Everything is just a breath. So that's what we're seeing now in chapters 5 and 6. Now, chapter 5, 18 through 20, here is his solution. And kind of slide 17, please, Jim. So what, now he's going to poke at where in the passage does he offer hope for possible contentment and enjoyment? So look at 5, 18 through 20. Now, four times he talks about grievous evil, grievous evil, grievous evil. Look at 18. This is what I've observed to be good. Now, now we have good. This is what it is. It is appropriate for a person to eat and to drink and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days God has given them, for this is their lot. So look at that. Eat, drink, find satisfaction in their job. So if, if you've been following us in our series, why do we keep talking at the action step is Sabbath meals. Why is our, our teams inviting us to light a candle? I'm not sure how much has been articulated, but one of the things that you can do when you, if you have a Sabbath meal is light a candle. 
light a candle, and then have a special meal with the people you love. Why? Because what the teacher is going to say to us over and over and over, if you embrace your death and you want to live, really live, then things like a great meal with the people you love are a big deal. Later on, he's going to say a glass of wine. He's going to talk about relationships. Fundamentally, what brings joy and what is eternal is relationships. So just for fun, this is for fun. Can you imagine a Martian outside McDonald's or Culver's? And they, Martians, imagine a spacecraft right about right, 20 feet up. And here comes these people, and they talk to a wall. And then we drive over here, and there's another wall, and we give money to the wall, and then we mark a little drive farther, and then something comes out of the wall. Do you think this one through just a minute? And compare that with a Sabbath meal. You look at people. You look. You hear their hearts. We hear the words. We ask questions. And we build relationships. My brothers and I, we were growing up, we used to fight like dogs and cats and dogs and swear like sailors. It was terrible. My mother and father just, my mother cried a million tears. And this is how they worked it through with us. Every meal we had to pray for the brother on your right or your left. We'd just been fighting on the basketball court and they got to pray for him. But what happens when you pray for your enemies? What does scripture say when we pray for those who persecute us? What happens when we pray? Remember the story I told you years ago about Bess Kuyper? Some of you don't know the story. When I came here a long time ago, Bess and Andrew Kuyper lived um, by Lighten State Bank across the street there. And I went to see them to visit, and, and uh, we're talking. And, and Bess was a tiny lady, and we had a, we had a tiny table. I could barely get my knees under the table. And she had these little saucers. And, and, and so we're sitting together, and, we're, and she says, Kevin, what do you want to talk about? I said, well, I'm going to ask her. I said, Bess, why do I have such a hard time praying out loud with Lane, my wife? So I'm sitting here, right? So imagine this. I'm sitting, my knees under the table, and i got this little thing here. I'm going to drink a cup of coffee, and Bess Kuyper says to me, because prayer is more intimate than sex. <laughs> Bess is 88 years old. And I just thought, oh, my. And then she said, I'll never forget this. Bess said, because it is easier to share your body than to share your hearts. And when we pray, we share our hearts. So you have a meal. Verse 18, have a meal. Enjoy. Share your hearts. Verse 19, what goes next? Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. So let me just stop for a second. Can you imagine 400 years ago, 500 years ago, would you imagine kings, kings, coming to America and walking into any of our homes and see a toilet that flushes? 
you can turn on a sink and get water. You have a refrigerator full of food. What would the king say about what we have? What do most in the world say about what we have? And the text says, enjoy what God has given you. Enjoy it. You work hard, enjoy what you have. Share what you have. Verse 20, look at verse 20 and then we'll do something else. They seldom reflect on the days of their lives, thinking morosely about the past, they're going to die, how bad it all is, because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. How does God keep them with gladness of heart? He gives them simple gifts of food and drink with people that you love. And all the time, Lord is saying, take it, take it, take it. So now a question for you. Jim, may I have slide number 18? So could we have some neighborhood conversation right now? Here's the question I would like, if you'd be willing to share together. Could each of us ask this, and we'll give like three or four minutes. Let's give it a shot. Could you answer this? Is my relationship with material things and money helping me or hurting me as I seek to flourish in love? It means to love God, love people, of our neighbors. So if you're willing, if you're able, could you just take a couple minutes to talk about that? If not, no need. Don't go to your phones, but watch, pray, or something else. <laughs> On your marks, get set, go. Thank you.
One more minute, one minute. so much can I have let's let, let me uh, let, let's have 15 seconds of silence and here's the question after the silence are there two or three people that have received something that would be good to share with all of us so 15 seconds of silence and just two if, if, and I'm, I'm serious that if the Lord has given you something to share let's share it to all of us okay so 15 seconds Okay, anybody? Two or three people? Something to share for all of us. You're all talking so well a minute ago. Anybody? Yes, wait, wait back. Scott, wait. That's, no, Brenda. Is that good or bad? Okay, Brenda says she shares more time than money, and my question is, is that good or bad? She says both? Kind of in the middle there? Okay, very good. Is valuable. Yep. Okay, very good. Somebody else? Yeah, Mike. Mike says, we are incredibly blessed with resources as Americans, and they get so many opportunities to give away. So let me push back into the neighbor idea. I want to keep thinking about this. I believe when Jesus loved your neighbors yourself, you have a, we all have a relatively small number of neighbors. So the people you live with, people you play sports with, team with, um, plays with, workmates, and then if, probably less than 30 people. So my response to Mike would be, in your network of neighbor, 20 to 30 people, that's where I would suggest you offer resources. Uh, that, does that make sense? Because we can just go all over the place. But we'll let the Holy Spirit quicken. What about this person and that person? So that's, that's a good question. One more. One more, one more and then we got to go. Oh, okay. Chad. No? Yes. Share with others. Beautiful, beautiful. How do you do that, honey? How do you share with others? Beautiful. This young woman, her last name, what's your first name? 
Michaela, that's what I thought. Michaela says she helps by serving and loving other people. Beautiful. Thank you. Let me come end with this. Um, the ancient Hebrew commentator in this passage says this. We go through life focusing on seeking happiness. I'm sorry, back up. He writes, there are only two potential tragedies in the days we live under the sun. Number one, we go through life focusing on and seeking happiness for and striving to make me happy. The focus of life is me. So that's a tragedy. Second tragedy, we go through life without expressing love and affection to those who are closest to us. Conclude with a story. Oftentimes, uh, when I was younger, especially, I came up behind guys and I gave them a back so they're, they're, they're facing. Here, Mike, I'll show you. I would do this, right? So I give the guys hugs. Well, one time, this, this big guy, he went like this and flipped me over. <laughs> and he said, Next time you hug me, hug me from the front. So if men, I hug you from the front. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you and we praise you that you invite us to recenter, to refill, and then to reflourish. Thank you for the gift of a Sabbath meal. Thank you for your holy words. And thank you for the privilege, the opportunity to bless one another. So we pray that your kingdom would be released as we celebrate your life and love. In Jesus' name. Amen.